revolution starting inside An instrumental part of Agora Worldwide Agora Worldwide, Agora Worldwide Counter economics, agorist strip Black market click, move a quick flip Can't regulate this, agorist strip Black market click, move a quick flip Can't regulate this, agorist with the Agoras Nexus podcast. I've got my great co-host, Dag. How you doing, Dag? I'm doing excellent, brother. How you doing? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. I I lost internet, and for me, it's like saying I lost power. So it's um, it's been kind of crazy here. But uh, yeah, I was starting to wonder yeah. if you're going to come back. <laughs> right? It's either yeah, it, so... internet's out or the cartel's got him. I'm not sure. <laughs> man. I know you ain't got no beef with them. <laughs> I don't got beef with nobody, but that's um, just what Americans are always terrified of. <laughs> nah, man, you just gotta live life, you know. Uh, but um, but yeah, we've we've got a great host uh, guest on today. Um, we're gonna get into crypto. Uh, his name is Meta. How you doing, Meta? Or should, should I just say Meta, or should I say the whole thing? Or <laughs> everybody usually calls me Meta. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing good, man. You know, just uh, enjoying life, taking care of my family, working, all that good stuff. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, you said st- said some stuff about crypto, and that's that's why I wanted to have you on. Uh, what is your your you know crypto uh, background? Well, I actually, um, interestingly enough, encountered Bitcoin pretty early on. Um, just as kind of like a sort of a geek, you know, like thinking about like uh, the future. I always thought about like future technologies and all that stuff. And so I'd hang out in like forums and all that, talk about those things. Um, I ran across, I I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I ran across uh, the Bitcoin white paper. People were talking about it. Um, I want to say it was like maybe around um, 2012 or something like that. Um, but you know, I didn't have the foresight to like go out and just like buy a bunch. I don't even know the timing. I don't know if I have right, because there wasn't even a way for me to easily get it at the time. So it wasn't, it is now where basically you have an app on your phone and you can buy it today. Um, I remember, um, working out how to actually go buy it in person. Um, and it was, uh, it was, there was a map. Um, sorry, I had to cough there. Um, there was a map that, uh, basically told you like anybody that was selling like Bitcoin, like locally, and you'd have to like message them and like, you can give the money, all that stuff. Um, but you know, I was, I was young. I I didn't really know where it was going to go. Um, and little by little, like, you know, it started growing and, um, you know, I had, I had, once it started becoming something like people were trading and all that stuff, like that's when I started to like buy a little bit. Um, but by and large, um, leading up until the, uh, you know, block size wars, like I, I started becoming a little less interested in it, just occupied with other stuff, you know, in, in my life. Um, and, uh, on the other side of that debate, I, basically agreed with others um, and didn't like where Bitcoin was going and what it was turning into. 
um, you know, I, I just saw a lot of like censorship happening. Um, a lot of not, not a lot of free speech in terms of like what, what could be said in like the, the forums and Reddit and all that stuff. And so I, I just, you know, I, I did my own thing. I didn't really spend a lot of time talking about it. You know, people around me didn't really care about it. I didn't really find a good community to hang out in. It wasn't really till much later, like when um, I started hanging out more on Twitter and, and like meeting different people that I, you know, really got into like investing in like different cryptos and trying to trade it. And I, I actually do some trading too on, in the stock market. So like all that stuff was like from the finance perspective of just trading, it was interesting to me. Um, and it wasn't until um, I really started to see the how the Bitcoin BTC problem ballooned into something completely different than what it was originally designed for. And um, some of the, uh, the ecosystem that's attached to it, other, other big companies, companies like MasterCard, and all that, that I started to realize like, okay, this is just like one big, you know, Ponzi, which is a really easy term to use and it gets thrown around a lot. So it's, it's not really a good word anymore because if you say that, then it's like, oh, you just don't understand it. Right. But in the true sense of at least the concept, the idea around it, when I say that it's more of like a, a feeling, right. Um, like the way everything is designed um, in terms of the exchanges all the demand that's coming from buying it is not really as organic as some of the biggest Bitcoin proponents like to put out there. So they want you to believe that it's like this huge, a bunch of people just wanting to get in on it because it's just new asset class and blah, 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 blah. But in reality, it's a game of uh, manipulation at the very top where um, exchanges can, you know, pr pretty much create this fake demand so that people, um, ape into it, so to speak, and, and, and buy it, uh, it drives the price up. And so people have taken this idea that this price is never going to, it's never going to stop going up. It's always going to keep going up. And it's the store of value. It's this digital gold. They changed the narrative from the white paper, Bitcoin, peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash, right? A peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. That's not what they're using it for today. They're using it as a store of value and a digital gold and a, and a, a settlement layer um, for everything else. So uh, my, my history in crypto is not one where like I was so, so into it that I was spending all my time in it, but it, was, it became a more, a, more of an interest for me from a, uh, a critical standpoint. Um, I didn't like where the market was. I didn't, I didn't think any of it was actually real. So I criticized it a lot. And uh, I still criticize it a lot, but I am in crypto um, and I have a particular, you know, uh, cryptocurrency that I'm fond of. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that was maybe a little bit too much rambling, but. Uh, no, yeah, I love it, man. Um, what, so you're saying that you're, you're a big blocker. What, what are the problems you do see with, uh, with BTC? Yeah, so um, the if if you ever you know anybody has a chance to look up like the block size wars, there was basically a civil war. They called the Bitcoin civil war that happened internally, um, and it, it was all surrounded around the concept of raising the block size. So early in the early days, um, the the, the imp original implementation of Bitcoin didn't have a block size limit, and um, the the block size limit was um, temporarily put in there to one megabyte. 
um, basically so they can bootstrap the operation and get this thing up and going um, with without you know crazy infrastructure needed or whatever. Um, and so over time, this began to turn into a very um, heated debate about whether or not it should move they should move the block size up because um, when you don't do that, then you get um, <clears throat> you get a bunch of empty blocks and uh, you get too much uh, not enough throughput in the system for people to transact on. It gets really clogged up and then transaction fees go up and people you know pay more transaction higher transaction fees to get first in line to get their um, transaction confirmed. And um, the the solution to that was always, and the, from the big blocker's perspective, is most obviously to raise the block size limit. Um, but the BTC side, uh, Bitcoin Core, um, basically their argument was that, well, um, this will lead to less security on the network, right? Because you need to have all these listening nodes out there, like these Raspberry Pis that can handle the blockchain, downloading the blockchain, um, so that we can, uh, quote unquote, decentralize the network more. and um, that was that was the, essentially their premise, like that it needed to be more decentralized. So we need to make it so that everybody can run a listening node um, and and verify these transactions and create this wonderful democratic system where everybody's happy and the miners don't have any um, that don't have all the power and so on and so forth. Um, and and you know the big blocker perspective was they was basically that well you don't understand. The consensus mechanism that was built into Bitcoin, um, and interestingly enough, Satoshi himself basically said that you know as time goes on, the the, the nodes which he was referring to miners would actually concentrate into specialized server farms um, because that's just the way things would go, and so people are often get confused about that because they're like, well, that doesn't make sense because the BTC guys are telling me that. I need to have these Raspberry Pis that can download the blockchain and verify transactions. But Satoshi himself said that it would go into specialized server farms. Well, it's mostly because they don't understand that the consensus model um, that Satoshi proposed was a one that wasn't just purely technological, but it was also an economic idea. There were economic incentives that make it so that um, miners are incentivized to be honest. And it's a probabilistic argument. It's not doesn't mean that there won't be attackers on the network. It doesn't mean that it completely eradicates them. Um, it just means that the the way the model is set up is that the economic forces um, are what drive the security of the network um, along with the proof of work. So, um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of a rough sketch of it. Um, I'm certainly not the historian um, that can give every fine detail. I do know somebody who is though, um, and probably would be an interesting guest um, at some point. He can give you the whole dig on, <laughs> on the, uh, uh, the block, block size wars, uh, the, the, block, the Bitcoin civil war, so to speak. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a veteran myself uh, for the big block side, so. <laughs> oh, nice. But, but uh, well, I, you know, I'm nobody special, but, um, but I, I, Pretty much, I was on the side of the big blockers. Um, so what? Uh, 
So you were saying like economically, can you go into like the more of like the, the economics of, of, uh, of, of why you think the, the, uh, the big block argument is, is valid and, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll sure. start there. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, it's, it's basically the Nakamoto consensus, right? So the, uh, without going into like the technical details, this, um, you know, around proof of work and, and how securing um, the network is supposed to work from a technology standpoint. Um, the whole idea is that the miners themselves are incentivized to be honest. And so uh, Satoshi mentioned, you know, the, um, the uh, honest nodes, um, the assumption is that the honest nodes basically know each other, right, um, to a degree. Like the, if there was an attacker on the network and the most common one would be like a 51% attack where someone would, you know, expend a bunch of resources to, um, to basically take over 51% of the hash of the network. So their idea would be that they could create a, uh, um, a chain in secret, right? They could, they could uh, append um, these blocks in, in secret and then at a certain point in time get those ones to be the longest chain therefore the valid chain and then ultimately the goal would be to execute some sort of you know double spend on the network um, and they the other the other miners wouldn't be able to uh, you know basically do anything because the that they're the uh, attackers uh, chain is the longest chain and so therefore quote unquote the valid one and so they can do all sorts of stuff with with the transactions but ultimately the only thing they can do is spend their own coins um, and move maybe move them off to an exchange that's not um, you know that accepts a certain amount of validations and then convert it into something else so they can actually take the money so the but the the, the um, economics around it are that this person would have to expend a, a huge amount of resources in order to accomplish this, and ultimately, what would happen is that there that the, the honest nodes would be able to outcompete the um, dishonest node, and also recognize that there is a dishonest attack happening, and those are alert system inside. Um, of Bitcoin where you can signal that this is a bad actor. And so you could orphan, um, orphan their block and continue working on the valid blockchain. Um, and that person has just lost money. So the idea here is that the, the honest nodes want to continue making money, right? And the dishonest nodes are trying to steal money basically to a degree. Um, but in order to do that, they have to themselves spend a lot of money to have some chance of doing what they want to do, but that in and of itself is a barrier to entry, right? Because if, if they're not able to do that because these honest nodes outnumber the dishonest nodes um, in, in terms of, of um, knowing each other and but all, all incentivized to be honest because they want to continue collecting their transactions, they want to continue collecting their block reward, they, they can just basically again orphan this block and continue working on the most valid chain and this person who tried to attack it completely loses everything that they've just spent to um, expend those resources 
Um, the last thing I'll say is that what's interesting about the block size is that if you theoretically get into large, larger and larger blocks, let's just say four gigabyte blocks, um, think about what it would take for an attacker in terms of resources to sit there and mine that stuff, right? Um, yeah. And it would it would be it would just they would cost them so much money with very little chance of actually being able to accomplish anything useful so in a sense the economics there are what are protecting the network if that makes sense yeah absolutely i mean if you want to attack the network you've got to uh, like you said spend lots of resources and um so at that point you might as well just mine yourself instead of um you know trying to attack it and and this is what exactly. i saw back in back in 2017 that's why i wasn't really uh you know all about the uh decentralized or quote unquote decentralized small block um comment where, where do you see uh or uh civil war i mean where do you see the uh where do you see btc going in the future i mean um a lot of people just say you know, digital gold, uh, mm -hmm. you know, hold, hold forever. What, what do you think? Yeah. So I think that, um, BTC itself, uh, in my opinion, is not a store of value. It's not digital gold. Uh, they kind of call it digital gold, I guess, partly because you mine it and it has a, um, an artificial supply limit. And I say it's artificial because it is, um, a lot of BTC proponents try to say that um, it's just like, it's lot like people think it's like a law of nature, right? Like with the gold itself, it is a law of nature that it's limited in supply. Um, theoretically, yes, there could be a mine that someone has not discovered that just increases the supply by 10x, um, probably, probably not going to happen. Um, uh, an asteroid could fall that has a bunch of gold on it. Um, you know, then, and that increases the supply, um, theoretically can happen, probably won't, but at, at the very least, there is a, a concrete kind of limited supply that's tied to reality and, and, and the laws of nature in gold. Um, and they try to liken this to, to BTC, but in, in, in reality, um, the, if the developers don't have the protocol, um, the protocol locked in stone um if they can change you know the the protocol itself over time theoretically they could actually change the supply of the 21 million and a lot of people don't know that um just normal people don't know that they just assume that it can never change um most you know people that have been around for long enough and developers they understand that that could happen yeah if there's if there's consensus yeah absolutely yeah so their argument is obviously that well it's not really probable because it would take you know all of these um all everybody agreeing to that and no one would ever agree to that so it's a probable probabilistic argument kind of like what i just made with the gold argument but if you really think about it those probabilities don't align like the probability that the sudden huge rush on uh, or increase in gold supply is much lower than the possibility in the future that the supply of Bitcoin can go up. Um, so uh, that's one reason I don't think it's digital gold. The store value um, uh, issue is that I, if, you, if you watch any kind of um, speculative um, kind of growth companies, um, I think one of the best ways to look at it is like 
SPY, right? SPY. Um, the uh, on the stock market, like they basically track one to one, and every once in a while there's some sort of divergence, but Bitcoin trades just like any kind of speculative growth asset. And the difference being that if you're investing in Apple and it kind of has these swings or whatever, at the very at the very base level, Apple has utility. People are buying their products and services and subscribing with their money and generating revenues and profits, all this stuff. But with Bitcoin, the, the, what you're investing in is just this promise that number one, the supply is never going to go up. And um, number two, it has this portability. Um, and so that's what people should care about is that I can just port this money around wherever I want. Um, and uh, I guess the deflationary argument is probably like the biggest argument there, right? Um, that, that's where they, they get this idea that it's a store of value, but it really trades like a growth, um, a growth stock. Uh, it has tail risks. We saw in March, 2020, um, that everything just completely dumped, right? Um, was it 2009? No, it was 2020 during COVID. Like everything dumped and so did Bitcoin. Like every, it was just all of it. And it's like, okay, that's not really a good store of value, right? Like if it's tracking perfectly with something like SPY, like SPY is a, is a kind of store of value, but in my opinion, it's probably a better store of value than, than BTC is. Um, because at the end of the day, what does BTC actually do? that's useful for us. Um, and my argument would be that they, they have this idea that the money is, um, th that it's like the mo the, mo the hardest uh, money that you can get, right? Like it's, it's, it's not only limited in supply, but it's secured by the network and you can transact it peer to peer, even though no one's really doing that. There's only like 250,000 transactions happening a day on the main chain. Um, and, you know, you're, you're protecting yourself against inflation. Um, that's like the main argument. But is, if you watch the price action, it doesn't actually do any of that. Like dropping in the mo most recent months, dropping 42% from all-time highs is not exactly, you know, the, the type of asset that looks like it can um, outpace inflation. Now, I agree with them on almost everything in terms of just like where our, where our uh, the, the, the endless money printer, the government, and, and all of that stuff. So I'm, I don't disagree with any of them on that stuff. But where the, the sustainability of BTC is the, is the biggest concern for me. And so where I see it going is they're running up into a situation that is gonna be kind of a, a very multifaceted, um, multifaceted kind of, I, I, I don't wanna call it a black swan event, but I guess that's what most people are concerned, uh, are familiar with. They have, these happenings that happen every four years, right? We all, like anybody that's running the Bitcoin protocol have these happenings every four years. And right now, um, the block reward is something like uh, 6.25. So the block subsidy is 6.25. So every time they mine a block, um, they, they're gonna get a reward of 6.25 BTC. Then that goes down after the next four years, which is coming up in 2024, it goes down to uh, 3.125. Um, so the problem is this, 
The problem is, is that they have such a high dependency, about a 97% dependency on subsidizing the cost of mining, right, with that block subsidy. So they actually, when they mine, they have to have infrastructure, power, internet, all that stuff they have to actually pay for in real dollars. And so they depend on the um, block subsidy to pay for that. <coughs> and um, when that goes down, if the price doesn't go up, like they say it, it's going to, um, like they say it's going to go, right? If it doesn't go up, then actually it starts to get really dire for them when they start operating mining operations at a loss because the block reward is going to go down by half. So they're getting less. So just imagine, if you will, at 3.125, they're currently getting 6.2 6 or something. If it goes down by half, they're getting only three BTCs for, um, as, a, as a, a reward. And the price, let's say, is go, going down. What's going to happen is they can't even subsidize their mining operation correctly. So they're going to have to actually start taking miners offline, which takes another peg away from their big argument that they that the hash is what secures their network and they have the most secure network because they have all the hash power. So that's going to start going away. And this comes from this, this dependency on the block reward that was supposed to actually get overtaken by the fees collected on transactions. So if, if you, um, the block reward was never supposed to be the only way to, to, to uh, get rewarded as a miner forever. The idea was that you would collect some fees on transactions that people make. And that's what would, and you would basically make money off of that. Um, but the problem is, is that they have a, they're depending 97% on this block subsidy. They don't really care about the fees as much because the block subsidy is there. And they have less and less people using the, the layer one, the main layer of BTC um, that are transacting on it. So they can't even sustain the network with, those, with, the, with the fees unless they charge really, really high fees, which they're going to have to do. And on top of that, they're moving people over to second layers like the Lightning Network, which is just accelerating this reality even more. So less people on the main chain don't have transaction fees. You're only doing 250,000 transactions a day. Uh, you're dependent, you're overly dependent on the block reward. You have a happening coming up in 2024 and you absolutely 100% need that price to kind of like pump to 100K like they were all promising before the end of last year. Um, otherwise they're in a bad spot. And so take all of I, everything I just said and then add to it why it, the price is where it is today. And so there's a lot of people on Twitter that you could follow that talk about this a lot more than I do. But if it goes back to stable coins and exchanges colluding and doing their dirty business in the background to make it look like there's all this demand in buying a Bitcoin, um, you know, I guess I could stop there. Um, but my point is, is that that is a, a time bomb. I call it the tether time bomb. Um, when that thing pops, everything gets dried up and that and everything I just said previously becomes a serious dire reality for BTC. And um, that's kind of like my take on where I think it's going to go. Is it possible that they come up with some more manipulative techniques to find a way to pump this market perpetually? Um, sure. Um, I, I think they can. But 
the reality is, is that, you know, I think we're going to get a lot of rate hikes this year. Um, and I think that an asset like Bitcoin would actually be harmed by that. So uh, you're going to see the price go down, um, you know, even more than it has um, recently. So that's just my opinion. But um, that, that, that reality of what I just laid out is going to be start to get realized much faster than most people expect. Can you go into the, uh, the, the tether time bomb? Yeah, I could probably give you like a high uh, level overview of it. Um, I, I depend a lot on, um, you know, some individuals I talk to on kind of validating some of the things I see. But basically, Tether is a stable coin, right? And they started out being one to one pegged with the dollar. So the idea is that you have this coin that you can mint that you hold someone's dollar. If you give someone a, the Tether your dollar, they're going to mint a Tether. So it's one-to-one backed. And that's how they started out. And the idea was that it would give a lot more, uh, it would solve the liquidity problem on exchanges um, in terms of trading crypto. And it's actually a really unique and probably necessary um, solution um, to liquidity on exchanges. But what they've they've figured out at some point that um, do we really need to actually hold cash in reserves one-to-one? And um, that soon became changed when they don't ever actually, they've never actually had an audit of the reserves, number one, but they do these attestations. And these attestations basically started to say that, well, we have like the dollars in reserve, but we also have commercial paper. Okay, what's that commercial paper? What does that look like? You know, I don't, no one knows what it is. Is it just junk bonds? Is it just like, is it, uh, is it Evergrande paper from the Evergrande fiasco in China? Like, what, what is it? They won't tell us. And so they, they, they got to a point where only, quote unquote, for them, quote unquote, 3% of their entire reserves are actually cash reserves, only 3%. And they won't audit or tell us what any of the other stuff is backed for. They just promise us it's backed by stuff that, you know, they can, they can get their money back or whatever. And so they've taken this idea and now they just, they can mint as many tethers as they want. Um, without having actual one-to-one backing. And then they can either loan this stuff out to exchanges and those exchanges can buy crypto assets, use those crypto assets that they just bought as more collateral to go back to Tether and say, we need more money here. Can you give us a loan? And then just kind of repeat, rinse and repeat. And they can use, they can use that, that Tether, that newly minted unbacked Tether to do all sorts of things like wash trading and spoof trading of Bitcoin and, and other crypto assets to keep pumping the price up. Um, and so eventually the, the, we're starting to see regulatory eyes on Tether, more you know, uh, people in the government are talking about them. If we, they force them to do an audit or they, they, they uh, basically, we re- people start to realize that they ain't gonna be able to get their money back, um, that, that none of it's actually redeemable. If you do a bank run on Tether today, they're not going to be able to get the first people will be out and that'll be the whales. Uh, but everybody else is going to be left holding bags because they're going to be holding useless tethers in their account that can't be exchanged for anything real. Um, and so what my thesis here is basically that the entire bull, the, all the bull runs that we've seen to all time highs in, in BTC, maybe except the ones from early in the early days to like $800 or whatever, they were all because of this 
infrastructure around them with the exchanges in Tether, um, and even and especially the one to sixty nine thousand. And so once you take that out, like we don't even know what the true value of the the BTC would be based on demand. Like we, it, it could be ten thousand, it could be five thousand, it could be two thousand, it could be a hundred. I don't know, um, but I know it's not where it's at today. All right, let's take a quick second to shout out Agorist Acre Seeds. Agoristacres.com stocks a variety of seeds for your garden or homestead. They also have really cool packaging instead of those silly paper envelopes. Buy seeds with crypto, support the counter economy, and become self-sustaining today. Agoristacres offers fast shipping so you can get started right away. Make sure you use code NEXUS10 at the checkout for 10% off of your orders. Also, they will donate a portion of the sale to Agorist Nexus, helping to bring you all the great content you expect. And all right, let's get on with it. Yeah, that that's uh, it's interesting for sure. Um, you were saying earlier that you think that that Tether's going to just crash the market completely, right? Like, um, what what does that look like? Yeah, um, I th- so it's hard to say um, what it would it look like exactly. Um, so, what would it look like with Tether? Um, what's Tether crashes the market? I have no idea exactly how that would go down. My guess is that. Um, some of the offloading that's been happening recently is kind of an anticipation of not only overall markets being <coughs> uh, running into this liquidity crisis, but I think that they see that at some point um, Tether is, is going to get either banned from being used in the U.S. Um, on any exchanges, and it's just going to cause a huge problem where people are going to try to get out and they can't. And uh, the the price, uh, the people who can get out are the whales, and they're going to tank the price because they're the only they have you know twenty percent, twenty five percent of the supply of, of BTC, including the exchanges. So they're going to be the first ones to get out. They'll tank the market with the, with that alone. It, the the pleb, so to speak, the, the the regular individual won't have any bearing on 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 the market going back up. Um, my my um, guess is that they're trying to set up Circle USDC stablecoin as kind of the replacement to that, and um, there I, I believe that for a couple of reasons. But one of them is that um, it's kind of being heavily promoted as like this actually a better stablecoin because they have their their cash reserves in these FDIC insured banks and all that stuff. Um, but we all I also noticed, and Bitfinex on Twitter pointed this out as well that. Actually, in their latest attestation, they started to pivot away from the cash reserves to uh, cash equivalents like investments um, and commercial paper and all that stuff. And they haven't had an actual audit, only attestations, only somebody saying, oh, yes, this is all here. They haven't actually audited what those assets are, if they're holding crypto as part of their assets and, and printing based on that, which creates this like circular kind of argument, right? Um so my guess is that Circle, which is owned by um, uh, uh, Digital Currency Group, um, they are kind of being positioned as like the replacement um, for Tether. And it's interesting because Tether recently um, has a deadline for um, sending um, the New York AG a uh uh, what's called a foil request, or they give what what their what kind of assets they hold and all that stuff. And the person who appealed the original case, or the the company, the entity that appealed the original case, was uh, 
sorry, I had to cough again, um, was um, Coindesk. And interestingly enough, Coindesk is part of digital currencies group, digital currencies uh, group uh, group's portfolio. So Coindesk requested this information from Tether. They submitted this FOIL request. They're owned by the same company that owns uh, Circle, the other stable coin. Um, so my, if I had to guess, this is kind of speculation, but if I had to guess, they want to keep the pump going. And, and if, if Circle's doing the same thing that Tether's, if they're going down the same path, then I don't see, um, I, I don't, I don't see that, you know, um, I don't see that tether, the tether dump would last as long if they were successful in replacing, um, replacing it with something like USDC and just doing the same thing over and over again. So we'll have to see. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Uh, Dag, I've, I've kind of been hogging the mic here. Uh, do you have something? Uh, no, this has been uh, this has been uh, this has been pretty uh, pretty pretty good. I'm not as uh, experienced in uh, in the crypto sphere as uh, as Brandon, so I've just been like learning a lot. But I've been like coming up like okay, so so it's kind of interesting. Um, sort of sort of what you're talking about here is like the um, you know the exchanges. And just, you know, the regular BTC and all that, just being very like, how am I trying to say this? I've sort of been getting a little bit of a feeling here for a while. Um, that's like, okay, so let's take like crypto.com, for instance. Like they've got a damn stadium, you know, named after them now. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just with the level of some of this stuff getting so quote unquote like mainstream that it's like, okay, like they're, things don't get that big and mainstream without having some sort of like chicanery or some sort of government fingers in it, you know? So like, so just, just things with like, okay, so let's say like BTC, for instance, like, is it true that like, if they somehow flag a coin as some sort of like illegal activity has been done with it, like the exchanges just won't accept it or, 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 or use it or whatever. Is that true? I've heard that. Yeah. So like they can, um, this actually happened, um, I mean, you, you, you saw that the way that the block explorers were able to see that like Bitfinex hacked coins, um, they're able to like basically label that address as one of the hacked addresses. So um, they do that to basically track where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, they, they've done that with Tether. Um, I think in Canada, there was a uh, certain address with Tether that was tagged. And so... Uh, I can't remember exactly if they were able to basically steal it back <laughs> um, and hold it or redeem it, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's they're they're 100% capable, and we're going in this direction. I mean, a lot of the BTC people were promoting this, you know, propaganda about Russia accepting it as a treating it as a currency, BTC as a currency. But if you go read in there, it's like, you know, really their their main goal there is they want to be able to track it more, right? And so there's going to be all sorts of requirements for, um, uh, you know, reporting those gains and tracking all that stuff. And who knows what that's going to look like. But, um, you know, the B- BTC is trying to be pushed as a privacy coin. It's really not. It's an open blockchain. Um, you know, it, it's there's privacy, but there's not anonymity. And if, if at the end of the day, you're trying to live your life and you're trying to make, you know, spend money outside of the world, you have to get it out somehow. Um, they, they position it this way, but things like, uh, 
uh, introducing Im implementing upgrades uh, on um, this uh, the protocol like Taproot, for example, is meant to increase privacy. Um, not not every like node has been updated with. I don't know what the percentage is of Taproot um, uh, uh, miners, um, but the or Taproot nodes. But their whole goal is to like can kind of increase privacy, which I'm I'm a privacy advocate, but I I just don't see you know BTC itself as actually being what they say it is um, because of KYC requirements, and um, they're moving people off chain. So things like uh, uh, li uh, Lightning Network, um, Liquid Bitcoin, which is a side chain. So Liquid Bitcoin is a side chain that's pegged one to one with BTC, and so they can do all sorts of stuff, and they kind of position it as like a privacy side chain. Um, and then uh, not Tether, but a Lightning Network is uh, a lot harder to track as well, because the idea of Lightning Network is that you open two transactions on the main chain. And um, within these, these are like called payment channels or open channels. And in within those channels, all sorts of transacting can get done. And at the end of it all, you kind of settle it later. Um, and that one transaction gets settled on chain but you're not gonna see everything that happened in that network between there. And so that's kind of positioned as like a privacy coin. Uh, I'm sorry, a privacy um, <coughs> tool for transacting. But the truth is, is on the Lightning Network, it, it, it's set up and designed such that in order to find the most efficient routes on that network, you're gonna need very centralized, um, uh, very centralized, I guess you can call it nodes or, or uh, channels that are opened um, that that basically allow you to to have the liquidity to transact in them, and they set up things like watchtowers and uh, you know ways to track um, the activity on these networks, and they've essentially become payment services, uh, uh, payment servicers. And if you know anything about the U.S., I mean, you can't just start a payment service company without like having some sort of uh, regulation involved, right? Like there are laws around being a payment servicer and that's kind of what the Lightning Network is. And yet they kind of promote it as this idea that like you're not going to be able to be tracked and all that stuff. And I just don't, I don't think that, that that's not the right crypto for that. If that's what you're seeking. I mean, there's other ones out there that kind of do it by default, right? So Monero or um, something to that effect. So they, they position themselves that way, but at the same time, they're vying for all this government approval and institutional approval and all this stuff. So it's like speaking out of two sides of their mouth. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know well, if that answers your question, but. Well, 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 well yeah. So like what I'm, what, what I'm getting to, I guess, is like, yeah, you know, you look at like, okay, I think Coinbase like developed the software that they use, that the government uses to track Bitcoin transactions and stuff. So I just see, yeah, a lot of these big exchanges is like, I don't think they have the ideas of freedom and privacy and liberty in mind, you know, and it seems like even without direct government regulation, a lot of because they want to be they want to play the game or whatever, you know, they they're even like proactive with some of this stuff, you know, even without government telling them they have to be. So I just, you know, it, that that's the sort of thing that makes me really apprehensive about something like like BTC. And I'm, I'm not saying that, like, you know, just hate BTC all around or anything, of course, but that is one of my one of my worries right um it just yeah and it, one other thing you mentioned too was just like crypto you know dot com and like they they got naming rights to what was previously the staples center in los angeles right 
and so they're putting their names on stadiums. So people are like, you know, this is bullish, right? Like, how how could this all be a fraud if if all these the all these uh, you know stadiums are being you know uh, named after these exchanges and and all this stuff? Um, but if you remember, like you know, Enron had Enron Field, right? That's true. <laughs> um, uh, dot, the dot com bubble was full of all sorts of advertisements and and um, uh, commercials and actors and actresses uh, getting involved in promoting these dot coms that went bust. I don't even remember if some of the dot coms actually got some naming rights to stadiums, but it was the same sentiment, right? It's like everybody's in this and now you see all these actors coming out for crypto and Tom Brady coming out to say that he's, you know, going, you know, investing in, in Bitcoin and put lasers on his eyes, all this stuff. None of that to me means anything at the end of the day, because in a, in a speculative asset bubble, I mean, everybody's euphoric and um, it doesn't take much to convince somebody that this is going to go on perpetually forever. Um, and I just, just, if you look at the history of bubbles, I mean, they always pop. Um, interestingly enough, there's a guy named Crypto Savvy on, on Twitter, and he always posts this chart of the Amazon.com chart, .com bubble chart, and the BTC chart, and they look identical. You know, it's not saying that that's exactly how it's going to go down, but it's literally tracking exactly the way the Amazon.com bust happened. Eventually, eventually, Amazon came back, right? And we actually got something out of it. But the point is, is that not be, my, my whole thing is that I'm not against crypto. I don't want to see it fail. I think it's going to survive. But I think it's, <clears throat> I think it's going to take a huge, um, we need to take the froth out, right? Like we need to, we need to actually take a good majority of the speculation out to really see what these cryptos are about and what utility they have for us as individuals and as companies and as um, people who want to, you know, um, have more freedom in the way we transact and do business and do commerce. Um, but we're not going to get that as long as the only thing that matters is number go up. If that's the only yeah. thing that matters, you're not getting anything out of that except people jumping in so that they can make more money. Eventually, there's not going to be another fool to sell to. And so what I want to see is I want to see all the speculation leave. Oh, you're always going to have speculation. That's fine. But I want to see the, the manipulation and the, the large amount of speculation leave so that we can actually see who wins this battle in the blockchain, right? Who wins this battle in crypto? Because at the end of the day, it's going to be about who wants to get in to use it, not just to go and promote some coin because you're holding a bunch of it and you want to see the number go up and you want Elon Musk to tweet about it so that your number can go up 15% in a day. Like if that's all this is, like who, who gives a shit, right? Like this, it doesn't matter. Like that, that, that can't be all it is and it's not. And so, um, you know, I, I believe in utility. I believe in things that have actual value for us as human beings and individuals and, and businesses. And I want to see that actually come to fruition, but it's not going to happen as long as we have number go up as the main goal. Yeah. Make it about merit, not just a casino. Exactly. Cool. Uh, I don't know how much more time we've got on this um, on this episode, but uh, was was there? Where can people find um, find your stuff? I know you're on Twitter, and uh, I don't know where else you're at. 
Yeah, right now I'm I'm just a, a Twitter guy, um, random Twitter guy. Um, it's Meta Tomist. Um, so Meta, uh, like the metaverse, and Tomist, like T H O M I S T. So at, um, you'll see me talking a lot about um, the Bitcoin that I believe in. Um, you know, interact a lot, go on Spaces a lot. Um, you know, working on different projects internally um uh, on that side and and really just hoping the people will actually see the real vision of bitcoin um and and what what it's really about and where it really can go um if we understood the original white paper and what satoshi gave us basically um so that's that's what you'll get get for me eventually i will have a uh an active uh, blog I may be doing uh, a shared YouTube um, uh, channel or podcast um, with some people. We're just kind of working out the details on that just to talk about all this stuff. Um, so for now, you could just check me out there. Cool. Um, we're also going, we're going to have uh, some bonus content here. Um, so definitely check us out on Float. And I think Odyssey is going to start doing. Um, doing stuff for us there so yeah definitely check that out and um was there anything else you want to go over dag before we uh signed up I, I don't even know how far through the episode we are but um how, how much time do we got do you know we're at, we're at 50 minutes in so um no, no I'm, I'm good this, cool. this this was great man i uh i really like the way that uh that you talk about uh about crypto and I learned a lot about BTC, and this this was great. Um, I really enjoyed it, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Had a good time. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on for sure. Um, I knew it was going to be a good episode because because uh, I heard you speak before, and I'm like, I gotta have this guy on. Um, so if you guys want to hear uh, more about the coins that uh, that Meta likes and um, stuff like that and you want to support Agoras Nexus, you can go on to float and I think Odyssey is going to do it soon too. And um, you can just pay like three, $3 and, uh, and yeah, you, you can get all the, the bonus content that you want. So um, with that said, we're going to sign off here. I've got a, a, a quote here. There's nobody to act as central bank or federal reserve to adjust the money supply as the population of users grows. That would have required a trusted party to determine the value because I don't know a way for software to know the real world value of things. Satoshi Nakamoto. Agorist Nexus out. Yeah.